Now entering Nerdist.com. It's the Nerdist Writers Panel on the Nerdist Podcast Channel. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Writers talking writing can get pretty exciting. The talk can be enlightening. It's very rarely frightening. Ben Blacker talking writing with writers. Welcome to the Nerdist Writers Panel series and informal chat about writing television and the business of writing television. Each and every panel benefits 826LA, the national nonprofit tutoring program. For more information on 826LA, visit 826LA.org. I'm your moderator, Ben Blacker. I'm the co-creator of the Thrilling Adventure Hour, a stage program in the style of old-time radio, available as a podcast on iTunes and on Nerdist.com. I've written for such series as Super Ninjas and Supernatural. Uh, we have a phenomenal group of writers this week with us, so let's introduce them. An acclaimed screenwriter and TV writer, uh, he wrote the Jodie Foster-directed feature, The Beaver, right? He thinks people haven't seen it, but people have seen it, uh, and created the short-lived and but very well-regarded regarded series Lone Star. He's currently the creator and executive producer of the uh, and showrunner of, runner of the upcoming NBC series Awake, Please welcome Kyle Killen. Thank you for being here, Kyle. Next up, having spent several seasons on American Dad, he's now co-executive producer of Community. Chris McKenna is here. Welcome, Chris. Say hello into that machine. Hi. Uh, finally, uh, sorry, thirdly, for a return engagement, because we have a lot more to talk about, uh, the always engaging creator of Community, Dan Harmon, is here. <laughs> Welcome back, Dan. You said finally, so I promised the last guy that I'd remind you there's another guy. <laughs> I meant finally you're back. Uh, and our final panelist, uh, and the greatest one, let's be honest. Oh, are you guys still here? Um, he has credits on Third Watch, Daybreak, Criminal Minds, Castle and V. Uh, he's recently sold a sports drama spec to Screen Gems uh, feature. He also very recently like this week recently, uh, sold a program to CBS. Please welcome Charles Murray. Um, Hi, guys. Thanks for being here. Uh, Listen, I told you uh, before we began, I want to start with the hard-hitting questions. Um, because sometimes I don't get to them. So we'll get to the stuff you guys want to hear about, but first we're doing the stuff I want to hear about. Um, And uh, Chris, I'd actually like to start with you because it is fresh in my mind. Uh, Let's talk about this week's community that everyone is talking about. Uh, The episode is called Remedial Chaos Theory. Yes. Uh, It was a crazy awesome episode. Take us through the process of where did this episode come from? We've seen some stuff online from Dan and from you and from Megan Gans, uh, who put up this early uh, text message exchange. 
Um, so talk about this episode. Where yeah, did it come from? Know, How did it come I think, together? I think it originally reared its head last year, right before Christmas. We had to break a story for one of our writer's assistants. So we, we had like two days before, I'm sorry, two days before Christmas. And we were all really, really beat and exhausted and uh, just had nothing left in us. And Dan said, hey, why don't we do something with multiple timelines? Yeah. It started as run, and lo- run we wanted to run. commit suicide. Uh <laughs> We, so we did something a little easy, though. We did the My Dinner with Andre. Right. <laughs> yeah, last year, that's the one we did instead of that. So this first came up last year was the idea. Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, one of those ideas that Dan, that Dan pitched and had been sort of knocking around in his head for a while. Mm-hmm. Right. But you can, so, you can see me in that text message conversation, which is the reason why I published that on the Internet. Cause I found it so fascinating because uh, I never remember this stuff. Uh, you just You just – you know, you just obsess about your show and you, you, you kind of just talk to whoever. It's amazing the technology now. I'm looking through my text messages and I see this. Oh, my God. That's that not only is that me coming up with the beginning of the idea, but here's this 27 year old st- uh, staff writer uh, who is her first year on the show. And she's actually you can see her steering me into uh, the episode that Chris uh, uh, ended up bringing to uh, such uh, bringing across the finish line is yeah. Great so take us and uh, both of you can probably do this, but take the, take us inside the room for a second. How did this episode wind up on your plate, and well, then what did was, you do with them? It was the third one up, and uh, I think yeah, it was the third one up, and it was we 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 had we had just you know finished up the model UN one, or we were we had one room working on that, and we started talking about like this idea of doing this multiple timeline episode and. You know, um, so Dan and I and Gans and I think Mebin and Bazalone, uh, we we started kicking around this idea that Dan had had, and, Dan, and then Dan had a lot of like uh, you had ideas about like originally it was going to I think going to be wanted to play around this idea that Troy and I were playing video games and taking advantage of that idea where once you die you've, you've already saved your place and you can go back and replay that. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the te- the text message conversation is me saying I want to do that. I didn't. And read then it. Gans is going like, <laughs> "Why don't you do it like with individual? Like you can see her steering me onto what we ended up doing, which is this concept that's like I call it the spin the bottle concept, which is that the, 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 so there's a random concept and then it's just the experiment is one character being removed from the situation, having to go take out the garbage or in this case go get the pizza. Mm-hmm. So uh, and that was it. But but the rest was like I mean. These poor guys, yeah. I, and I, I, I uploaded the uh, photos of the whiteboard, which you just—it looks like a yeah, joke. I was, I was joking. You, you would, you would nicely photoshopped out my brain matter splattered against the whiteboard. <laughs> yeah, no, we, we was like one of those processes uh, where we, we, we went slowly insane over about a week, a week and a half. Uh, so were you, were you reading, leading the room on this episode? Yeah, I was leading the room and we had, you know, with great, you know, with Gan, I mean, you know, leading the room. I had Gans, I had um, two new writers who were great, Mebin and uh, Steve Bassalone, Annie Mebin and Steve Bassalone. And the four of us just, you know, with Dan's guidance coming in and, you know, helping mm-hmm. us out with, with it, obviously, while he was, you know, uh, you know, head coach and star quarterback uh dan Harmon coming in and and sort of just sort of helping us shape this thing we had to come up with it was you know as you know i mean anyway it was it was one of those things where we were doing seven timelines and we had to it was a, it was a giant crazy rubik's cube of what would happen with each person left what could you know it was balancing this oh god it's just gonna be so tedious the same thing is playing out over and over again how do you make it different every time? How do you explore each character in each in each universe in a different way? I mean, you saw from Dan's uh, tweet of his Tumblr if uh, 
it is there were we were trying to do story art. You know, we were doing seven circles within seven circles, um, <laughs> and you know, and we wanted to just have it be just escalating, but also revealing about what what does each person bring to the table. And when they're not from the table, and they're not at the table, what happens when they're not there? Um, as well as just being hopefully funny and uh, and entertaining along the way. Um, what were some of the the wrong paths you went down? Do you remember? Yeah, I mean, we you know we try to do certain things where it's funny. I was just uh, looking at earlier drafts, and we had this we had this whole thing where Shirley discovers Britta early on. Uh, uh, is smoking pot. She finds her joint and runs out into the hallway and they have this big altercation. And we save that for the sixth timeline, which, uh, I mean, we really have this, we, at one point we were really in love with this irony that, Oh, in one timeline early on, Britta, uh, Shirley's lambasting Britta for her pot use. And then the, the, the one where they really bond, Shirley doesn't realize that the reason why they're bonding is because Britta's stoned out of her mind, uh, and that's why she's putting up and bonding with Shirley. So, um, I don't know. A lot of it was just details that just had to fall away for simplicity's yeah. sake. There were a lot of funny details that had to fall away. The the oh. the equivalent of Abed saying to Britta something smells funny in there was Brit- Abed saying to Britta when she comes out of the bathroom, "Did you release the Kraken?" And yeah. uh, and and Britta goes, "I beg your pardon. Did you yeah. release the Kraken?" Uh, ah, but that's not appropriate. And then you find out later in the Troy Britta scene in the bathroom that Troy has used his plumbing skills to create a special <laughs> toilet for Abed. That every time you flush it, it says a, a famous movie quote. Uh, and, and, release the Kraken. Yeah, and 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 the man is nefarious. Yeah, or something I, like there's that. all yeah. kinds of like 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 it's crazy. Like like so it just had to get streamlined. And that that was a there was actually a point when I. I, I think I, I, I sent Chris and Megan home at like two in the morning at one point And I said, you guys, it's all done. We did a good job. Go on home to your loved ones. Get some sleep. Let's uh, we'll, we'll talk again in the morning. And I stayed there and I started gutting the fucker because and I well, knew no, it, it was particularly of mice and men. It was like your way of just like, look away, Lenny. Yeah, I'm kill- I'm, I'm killing the Kraken. Yeah, there was there were like yeah. other things that had to yeah. go. And I knew that be, that 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 precisely for the same reason that these people are valuable and that they make the show genius that they would not they had to actually they had to be gone they had to like be i had to do like a spinal uh uh numbing thing so i could operate on the legs you know and it was it was it in that time that the six or seven kind of anchors the consistent things uh emerged or were those there the whole time as well you know Uh, like um like the the going to the bathroom to smoke the pot, or no, like, no, that was that always there. All intricately I mean, the, the choreography out. was like I, the basic choreography was always there. There was there was stuff that yeah, that just like you know, which you know, we did, like it was great because we had gotten nuts for you know weeks, and then I went nuts on my own for a week <laughs> with the writers' draft, and Dan uh, luckily is already nuts, so he could, but nuts in a way that he was like, oh, okay, we need to shave off some of these lumps that are hanging on these vestigial, uh, vestigial elements to it. Um, but uh, a lot of the choreography was already there. A lot of the basic storylines were there. I mean, we one, one of our hard, like, flags we planted early on, which then we got away from, uh, and I think rightfully so, was the kiss got to happen as our goddess moment. It's got to be our midpoint. And then now it's an almost kiss that doesn't happen. So that it was like one of these things where we're like, oh, we're going to do this thing where they kiss. And then we're like, like, 
fuck you, shippers. <laughs> like that, it's gone. And, that, and it never happened. But it was great. I think it was great because as then it led to um, the Abed storyline where it looks like things are really like, oh, this is going to be really great. And uh, they kiss. And then what I like about it is you don't have a moment where they ever kiss and that it was great. It was a kiss and then the fallout happens. Everything that's been brewing in terms of the good and the bad with Annie and Jeff um, starts tumbling out. One thing that did change because our uh, we're always hard and fast with our act breaks, um, but we did move the second act break because we came up. It was only going to be Jeff's storyline uh, as the third act, and uh, NBC would not allow us uh, to to have it uh, to have an act that was what less than five minutes. minutes five yeah. minutes. So we had to move the Abed storyline into that, which I think actually helped because, like you rightfully said, it helped. Um, to see another, uh, I think if you'd come back uh, after Abed's storyline as a second act break, which is the low point, but if you'd come back and it was just Jeff, Jeff throws it and then Abed catches it, it would have, I think, been dampened by the fact that you hadn't just seen a storyline play out with Jeff rolling the die and, and anyway. Oh, that's Bam, interesting. Uh, I just no, I just have two more quick questions about this. Uh, Chris, very briefly, tell us about tackling that writer's draft. Was it more difficult than other episodes? Was it the same? <laughs> I wrote conspiracy theories too, so uh, and uh, that was pretty tough too. Uh, no, uh, Dan always kicks these kind of crazy, difficult ones uh, my way, which I love. Uh, um, but no, it was it was really tough because. I mean, so much of it was just worrying about the choreography of everything and the different and trying to keep everything um, in order. I mean, and the writer's draft definitely changed by the time of the shooting draft. It was uh, I mean, we we stripped. I mean, Dan stripped out. And like he said, like, it was like, OK, let's make this like, let's make this all streamlined and and and, and clean. But so much of it was just not even writing jokes. It was it was um, it was just. Just making sure well, you were go- you were gone for uh, all the writers go for a week on draft and the during well Chris was gone for a, a week on that because I think Megan in particular unless I'm characteristically over over crediting <laughs> her she was she was working really closely with you on on, on mapping it out right yeah and, and Annie and Steve yeah. and then when so during the week that you were on draft Megan kept answering the phone and then and then darting out of the writer's room and I, yeah. I, I was getting really mad because I thought I, I always assume that it's like some you know dude or something or <laughs> that it's some 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 like like she's going to get a pedicure or something and I'm like stop that that's scans Fo- focus on the job uh, and 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 then like the fifth time in it was like oh these are all McKenna calling her because he's freaking out at home like, like it's just that the, the, my the, wife would come home after like 12 hours of work she's a writer too she would come home and I, it would be beautiful mind I'd be in my boxers and <laughs> I'd be like strings, and I'm like, uh, okay, well, but in this one, um, they gotta go to the bathroom, but they can't go to the bathroom because Annie and Britta are in that one, but uh, I mean, uh, Jeff and Annie are in that one, but in that one, but if, what, if, what if Troy goes and he bumps him and he knocks their, they're kissing in the bathroom, and that's why he can't see the kisses? He's, I mean, it was, I think I know what nuts. it is that drives you nuts. crazy. It's, I think there's this, there's a thing that that shares with the My Dinner with Andre episode, which is that, well, first of all, you're running this huge risk of you're going to be a pretentious failure. You're going to fail with your head up your own ass. Uh, 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 but also, you de- never have your wife walk in and find you dead with your head up your own ass. Yeah. You're, you're dealing in minutia, and usually in TV comedy writing, what we do is we go, 
hey, can we beat the Ben Gay joke? Can we beat the uh, Got Milk joke? And and like the the you like, like comedy writers are kind of like, these things need to be fresh and have like our saliva still mm-hmm. moist on them as they come out of us. And like we don't want to think about them ever again. Like the funny ones that pop, like good, then they popped and don't fuck with them anymore. And, and, and the problem with the dinner with Andre episode and this episode is that by absolute you had you had to rototill the soil. Yeah. I got so, so like, like that's why we had no idea the episode was good until we sound mixed it because we thought if I hear one more, why are we telling a story about pies? It's so yeah. dumb. <laughs> it's I'm so bored with the, with all of it's this. It's like I'm I, I'm not good at math, but I can do it. If you lock me in a room, I can do it. And and uh, and this is gonna sound crazy and pretentious, but like it's like that it's like that line in uh, Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, uh, you know, like where where they gotta go work for you know uh, the mining company, and it's like Sundance says, "Can I move?" And, like, that's when he can shoot and hit the target. Like, a lot of this is, like, I love writing jokes. And there's no joke. I mean, when when I was just – I was just doing choreography. I was doing math. I was doing math. I was doing math. Except for this thing I laid in, which was the Pierce (laughs) runner, which (laughs) is based on my father-in-law having fucked – sorry. (laughs) Banged. It's an explicit podcast. An actress (laughs) on an airplane. And I'm like, oh, then – and he's – and every time I'm with my father-in-law, he tries to work that into conversation. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, there. There's my my one, like, oh, I got a joke in this timeline. Uh, Anyway, so. You're not podcasting this, are they? (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can find him on IMDb. Um, the the math aspect of it is a good segue to talk about uh, Kyle. Yeah, like, but, here we are, like, like oh, so hard. <laughs> this guy. Well, yeah. <laughs> Credit away. I, yeah, yeah. I, how, well, tell to, me. Well, well yeah. <laughs> tell Let's me how you're by not... It. Telling, tell the crowd what Awake is about because it hasn't uh, premiered yet. It premieres uh, in Great January. pilot. I, saw, I don't know if you guys have seen it yet. It's fantastic. Oh, apparently they have. <laughs> uh, and the thing that's great about it is it's just like community. It was something that would happen. <laughs> uh, but tell them a little bit about what the show is uh, and then tell us where it came from, especially coming off of Lone Star. Uh, well, it's essentially a, it's, it's a detective who has a, a horrible uh, wreck and loses either his wife or his son. He wakes up in a reality where he has his wife, he's lost his son, and then he wakes up in another reality where he has his son and has lost his wife. And at some point he realizes that one of those is a dream, but the dream feels entirely as real as the reality. They're completely indistinguishable. So uh, rather than trying to figure it out and realize which one is real and which one he's lost. He desperately tries to cling to both of them so that he continues to have both his wife and his son. Um, the, that was the simple-ish sounding idea, this sort of like brain-melting unfortunate consequences that because he's a detective and the procedural aspect is what makes it possible as a network show, he ends up working two cases every week (laughs) and they end up having to be reflections of each other that solve each other without somehow I'm I'm worried about who's in the bathroom right (laughs) it's like it really like when I saw those whiteboards it was it was really uh, I think it might have been post-traumatic stress (laughs) something off um yeah, we so, had a lot of messes like that. Yeah, so how long did that pilot take to write? And what was the work involved with it? I mean, top to bottom. Well, 
I mean, it didn't. This, uh, sometimes things go very quickly. Sometimes they go very, very slowly. The pilot, because Lone Star got canceled so late in the year, uh, I didn't go through. It, it was sort of like they were like, "Well, do you want to do you want to do something?" And it and it really became um, rather than me having to talk about what it would be, there was no time for that. So um, it had to come in as a script when all of the people who had sold pilots. We're going to turn in their scripts, so it was going to go out as a spec against everybody else's scripts. So it was one of those weird, um, no one talked to me, no one asked <laughs> me what it was really going to be or how it would work. There was no notes, there was no outline. It was just, can you have a script by, uh, can you have a script by Christmas? But, and, and you had pitched the concept, presumably. I did exactly what we just did. Like I said, really? in five minutes, like, I think it'll do this. And they were like, <laughs> mm, okay, can I do it by Christmas? Wow. And um, and so had this idea been percolating for you? It, well, it kind of. I mean, honestly, I just ripped off Lone Star. Like everything that didn't work with Lone Star, <laughs> I just turned around. Like that didn't have a procedural element. That was like pure mm. soap. So okay, well, this would be a procedural. That mm. was like a guy with two lives who didn't want to give up either one of them, except he was cheating on both of his wives. So he was an antihero. So let's make him love both of his lives. It's his <laughs> wife and his son. Like it was sort of like doing the opposite of everything I had just done. And, you know, trying to find a way to use all these storylines that like, you know, we, we threw yeah. in the trash. So, so uh, was the pr- procedural element, is this something that you added yourself in anticipation of it needing to be televisable? Yeah, or? totally. I mean, you know, with Lone Star, it was, we, I mean, to their great credit, like Fox from the beginning said, we don't understand why, like, a cable show won't work on network. Like, let's just do a straight-up... Like, let's not even pretend. Like, let him be... They actually pushed for him to be more and more awful. Like, they were really trying to build on, like, their successful FX model. So um, it just it just really, really didn't work. Um, <laughs> so I just sort of went the other way. Did they ever... I don't know how this works. Do they ever think, oh, well, maybe we can switch over to FX, or is that a, that, that that ship left? I think it's. I think the ship had left, and that it wasn't quite nasty enough to be FX, and also the just the model that you you know what you spend per episode right. is one thing to do a network show, and it's a totally different thing. Right. And they're just it's really hard to shrink it down so it fits a, a cable budget. Ooh. Interesting. All right, we'll we'll talk more about that uh, in a minute. But Charles, uh, speaking of hot new network shows, tell us about your current project and uh, as much as you can, and um, also how what you've worked on in the past that kind of informed that pilot. Um, and meanwhile, I want to move that mic. Over. My um, newest show is a cop okay. show. It's just uh, it's a PI, it's female PI. Okay. And. You know, every show that I've worked on beforehand kind of made, you know, made that show come to fruition because it's all been cop shows. I actually tried to pitch a soap the day before. <laughs> or I, I pitched a soap the day before. Really? And um, sort of like Desperate Housewives meets a simple plan. And I spent <laughs> the majority of the time convincing studio and network that... Um, the big black husky guy in front of them could actually write a primetime soap. Um, so much what, so yeah. that I said to Network, I said, just imagine that I'm Ingrid Bergman with a husky voice. <laughs> Which you must get all the time. Uh, how, how were they reacting that made you think, they don't trust me to do this? They told me. 
<laughs> Don't trust them. Yeah. Wait. No, That's I mean, amazing. They pointed at an embroidered pillow that said, never trust a big black husky guy yeah. in their office. Like, my mother made that they for me. They sat it by... Uh, <laughs> And their shoes were off and their feet were curled up under it. Uh, no, but that's kind of amazing because you've worked on these shows with definitely, you know, serialized soapy elements. I mean, well, V, especially. You get pegged, yeah. you know, um, like, you know, when I went in on V, uh, I was asked if I liked sci-fi. And I was like, you know, shows are pretty much shows and genres dressing. Unless it's, I believe that comedy has a certain forte that you, you know, that you can dip in the drama, but it's two distinct things. But if you tell me that I'm going to write a war show, I'm going to write it about five people who are under duress. If you tell me that I'm going to write Desperate Housewives, I'm going to write it about five women who are under duress. So writers see things distinctly different than executives. Right. So the executives uh, who I had worked with before and who um, I'd written pilots you know, for uh, after I wrote each pilot, Oh, you know, it'd be great if you could write on everything to what do you mean it's taken two weeks for them to decide if I'm okay to be the writer? <laughs> and I, you know, I pretty much called them out about it, you know, and said, um, you know, I come from a neighborhood that is as soapy as they get, you know, uh, or one neighbor was having an affair with a neighbor who lived on one side of me, you know, and like, right. you know, people got. Uh, you know, it was a suburban neighborhood. So <clears throat> when I walked into um, a, uh, the studio, you know, I said, listen, I know you guys are a little bit skeptical about me pitching a soap. And they went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I got through pitching it and they decided to take it to network, they fessed. You know, they were like, well, you know, we, we saw you as cop guy. <laughs> and I was like, I saw myself as writer. You know, so, um, you know, when Tuesday I pitched a soap and Wednesday I pitched uh, the cop show. Were they both with the same studio? Had you different been studios, different studios, oh, different really? producers? And you'd you know. kind of been developing both with an eye to take. Uh, yeah, okay. you know, just to get paid quickly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And um, you know, I mean, I've done everything. You know, I mean, I started, I started off with. Uh, Third Watch, I mean, actually, I started off with City of Angels, which was a hospital show, and went to Third Watch, which was a cop show, and then, you know, did various cop shows, and then, um, you know, you guys, I, I really felt through your pain and, and his pain, because I worked on Daybreak for 13 episodes, and every episode was like, wait, we have less space to work with, because of wherever the character landed the episode before. What was Daybreak again? What it was, was uh, Tay Diggs played a cop. Um, every day repeated. Oh, the, right. Jesus. The day repeated, every episode. Ground cop day. Yes. <laughs> that is really? exactly not, how not it was. Not Groundhog Cop? Call your agent. <laughs> no, Groundhog he, Cop. Uh, yeah, he yeah. smushed it. He did exactly yeah. what it needed. Yeah, exactly. He, he waited until we left the room. <laughs> oh, my God. So he was solving this. Like he, so each every, day he would solve a crime that he didn't solve the day before. Uh, the, no, he had one crime to solve, <laughs> and the day kept repeating. Sometimes it would. Sometimes we repeated it uh, 30 times in an episode. She would get the idea. Oh, no shit. Oh, my God. Because you would just get up and slip in the shower and die. Yeah. 
Were there times where he's like, I'm not leaving today. I'm not, fuck this case. Hey, fuck that murder this is, this is my favorite mustard. I'm not going to work today. I'm not going to work today. And somehow the crime would end up at his door. Uh, well, I'm just going to go to Coney Island. No, we did. He had, we had an episode where he actually went on vacation. <laughs> And, but, at, you know, by the fourth act, he woke up again. Right. Same dance, you know. Oh, my God. And it was insane trying to figure that ep- that out. So, Kyle, I wish you the, the best. <laughs> What's interesting when you asked him the question Pan about over the Kyle's difficulty dead. of the pilot, it's easier to write the pilot than it is episode five. Yeah. Because, because your pilot is like, fuck this, let's go. And episode five is like, what the fuck did we do in episode two? (laughs) You know, and and so, you know, so I I eventually just got to a point where I was selling pilots and I was like, you know, I want to explore the world outside of a staff room. And uh, that was pretty much what inspired me to sell it, try to sell another pilot. But you just you, you were telling me in the green room that you just directed your first feature. Yeah. I was um, going to ask about this. You know, and I mean, that was the cool thing about not hijacking, having, not having the staff. <laughs> Do it. You know, um, um, it was something you wrote also. Yeah, you know, it's a feature that I wrote. Um, uh, it's about a female poetess and takes place in the world of uh, spoken word, and it's it's literally um, a poetry, ver- a less aggressive poetry version of a Jeremy Irons movie called Damages. <laughs> um, and you know, I don't know if you if you've seen that, it ends badly. <laughs> um, and you know, and I got to do that, and I, you know, I just came back from working on the Clone Wars. You know, I'm writing episodes of that, and you know, and I walked right out of the Clone Wars into pitching pilots. Um, tell us about how you started out when you were a young writer. Uh, uh, what What did you think you'd be writing? Where did What's your background? What's the stuff that inspired you to become a writer? Well, I'm from Indiana, mm-hmm. you know, and um, we used to get all the Chicago stations. You know, and so the thing that inspired me most was um, the 3.30 movie, you know, ABC's 3.30 movie. And then we had a show that came on every Sunday called Family Classics. And they would just be movies. You know, it, there, was, there was no particular thing that said, oh, I want to be comedy guy or I want to be, you know, drama guy or whatever. It was just like, I want to be a writer-director, you know. And, you know, and the, the sad thing about the TV business is that, these guys can probably write the greatest dramas mm-hmm. that you would expect, but you know they immediately do the shorthand like these are comedy guys, sure. you know. And this guy could probably write Color Purple, you know. <laughs> yeah, you get pigeonholed very quickly. You know, Absolutely, pigeonholed very. I mean, he could, no. <laughs> but you get pigeonholed very quickly. And so, you know, when I started out, you know, it was just an eight-year-old kid who was watching everything and said, sure. "I, I want to write what I see." and you know, I wasn't watching one particular show, so I didn't want to write one particular thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's, you know, kind of been the biggest disappointment of being in this business. Yeah. Um, but I got my start, um, I was an assistant on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, really? And uh, by happenstance, I met David Milch. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, he had, we met at a wedding. And he asked me what I was doing, and I told him that I was an assistant on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And he said, what the hell is that? <laughs> and, and then he just put his dick in the beans. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm David Pouch. Point, me to, a, to, point me to a desk I can piss he, on. He and Terrence Shirt, he, he, at the um, bachelor's party, he did rip his T-shirt off. <laughs> you know, like the Incredible Hulk. Uh, and um, 
he read some short stories and a couple of specs that I wrote, and he brought me All on. I want to hear about is this bachelor party. Now. <laughs> please, the next hour, please tell me everything about being at a it was bachelor on, party with it, David Milch. So I, you know, I ended up apprenticing with him, and Ooh. then from there, you know... Uh, what was he working on? Was he on NYPD Blue he, at the yeah, time? It was his last year of NY. And, um, you know, and I literally just followed him around and watched him, you know, run the show. Mm-hmm. Whenever he wasn't, you know, gambling. What did you? <laughs> what did you take from this experience? Uh, we've had a few people who have been in this position with Milton. It, it, it taught me more than anything I've learned since because he because he's a wild dude and he doesn't have to like conform to any rules. <clears throat> you know, you kind of like learn to embrace. It's like what Steve Jobs was saying: embrace the, the fucking loony or whatever. <laughs> you know, and and. Listen, I've been on the kitchen floor just like he was talking about coming in with your wife and you're talking to yourself. And, and she goes, you know what, I'm just going to go shopping. <laughs> and, you know, and it's like there's the, if you I think if you want to be a creator, it's different if you want to be on staff and sort of like stay on staff and just be that slot guy. If you want to be a creator, there's a certain sense of of courage that you have to say, I'm going to step into this void and fuck it, and want to like you know end up drinking and eating and and swining and doing whatever I got to do to tap into that consciousness <coughs> that he you know I got to see him do you know and so you know I didn't know how the fuck I was going to get through this business but whenever I felt like I wasn't going to be able to make the next step I would just say well what would David do you know and it would just become like you just fucking start writing and you write what you want to write and you you know you get in the room and you. And, and you take from the room what you can, and you don't conform. You know, I was actually, in my earlier staff years, when I would hear the showrunner say that I hadn't found the voice, that actually made me feel good because it meant that I was trying to maintain my own, no offense to anybody who's a showrunner, you know? And so, and I've seen people who have maintained the showrunner's voice eventually hit co-EP, EP, and then they don't. And then they try to find themselves. Well, I wrote my first spec pilot when I was a co-producer, and that changed my whole career. Wow. You know, and I think that I owe a lot of that to David. That's amazing. <laughs> but, I'm, I'm sorry. No, but I did gonna say, like, go, uh, being under the tutelage of a David Milch, and then getting your first staff writing job, <laughs> and like going, well, fuck it, I, <laughs> I'm gonna do what David yeah. did. Like, how did like <laughs> well, what was what, that? What was like, the, how did how did that go over with the staff? <laughs> well, the beauty was, but. Because okay, you know how staff writers staff absolutely writers, no. I'm just staff writers are when they step into the show. They you know you make crazy mistakes because you either spend too much time trying to like make the showrunner like you, you know, or you shut the fuck up too much, you know. And it was just like I was just like okay, you know what? I'm just going to pitch me. I'm not going to like sit in the room. The beauty of it was that the guy that I work was working for had worked for Milch, so he understood that sort of like insanity. But you know. A lot of times when you come in as a staff writer, you spend like at least two years trying to figure out what the fuck's going on. <laughs> but coming from Milch, I kind of knew ground running, you know, by the time I was an executive story editor, I was in post, you know, and I was like actually working with, you know, our composer and all that other kind of stuff. And the guy knew that I could do it because of where I had come from. And, I, you know, and I was surprised to meet a lot of co-EPs and the EPs who had never been in the post, who right. had never been, 
you know, able to make a decision beyond what the showrunner. Well, there's a, as the Henry Ford principle. It's it's it, it is from before we were ever born. It, it, that that was the expectation, right. and there were wars fought and lost by the good guys. Uh, that we live in the aftermath of. Uh, uh, so we are expected to, you know, the more we compartmentalize, the more specialized we are, the more they like us. Right. Oh, he's good in the Bay, but he's not good on set. And he's, he's a good joke man. And he's a, he's a comedy guy. And this is a, 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 what you said about the five, five people under duress. I mean, you're describing Barney Miller, Gilligan's Island, Star Trek, yeah. and Dynasty. Exactly. You're, you're, it's, it, and that's the way writers think. It's like, we want to use this, or creators think anyway. Uh, we want to, we want to connect with people uh through this medium and it doesn't matter if it's a sonnet or a haiku it's still it's, it's like like it matters right. but that doesn't change how we think about the world right. uh I, I assume that you as this little whippersnapper who is like like like, like uh <laughs> working with working in the bay like 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 prematurely that that the part of the reason just based on my experience as a showrunner the people that I am, I allow to do that. It's not just that they're constantly pushing back and spitting on the floor. No, uh, it's they love the show exactly. and they don't. They, like they approach things right. the way I approach them, the way they approach them. They they are huge fans of the right. television show right. and they are there. I put blankets over them on the couch at four <laughs> in the morning. Right. And so yeah, I, I assume you're that that that's it's it's tempered with but that. that. But that I think that that also comes from having been shepherded into that arena like you can do this Mm -hmm. you know and and when you give that sort of freedom to someone and you're giving them knowledge you know that when they go on they're going to take that freedom they're going to take that confidence with them and then yes i'm not going to go in and go fuck do you think you know (laughs) (laughs) no i've I've heard uh, i've heard horror i mean i've been blessed i've worked with such an amazing uh I mean, I was on American Dad for five years with, like, showrunners who were just like, if you were passionate, they were more passionate about you than, you know, I mean, it was one of these things. But you hear these, and then, you know, obviously the same thing on Community, and then you hear these horror stories. Uh, I have friends who are comedy writers on other shows, and you pitch a joke, and it gets a big laugh in the room, and it's like, oh, okay, great. You pitch two jokes, and it gets a big laugh. Uh, you get a target on you by the people who are running the room, yes. by the showrunners. So by the third time you get a joke in, you're getting iced out. I mean, like it's yeah. it's no. not. Yeah, yes. I mean, it, it could have absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. It could have gone insane. the other way for you. Yeah. You know, where if you were on I mean, the it, wrong it, show, it did go the other way. Yeah, you know, because I had to tell one showrunner, um, you know, when you get ready to throw us under the bus, make sure it's a decent one. <laughs> you know, but it was because it was that kind of, you know, showrunner. No, I don't, yeah. I don't get it, but I know. Believe know. me, I yeah, and yeah. I've heard the stories, and they're like, no, it's it's bizarre. It's yeah. and these are people who's like you would think that their names are above yours. That <laughs> you all, it should all be about making the best comedy. And well, it's so much about this weird political thing where you get iced out because you're getting too many jokes in. It's so much about management. Isn't it? I mean, right. the, this showrunner position, which isn't necessarily, and, and we talked about this, Dan, last time you were here, that it isn't necessarily what a writer excels at, is managing people. I mean, Kyle, we were talking very briefly that you're running Awake uh, with Howard Gordon. Did, you didn't run, did you run uh, Lone Star also? I also did that with uh, Chris 
Kaiser and Amy Lippman. Oh, you did? Who did a party of five. For so, oh, okay. Many, so many tell years. me about, about running these shows, which are your creation, and you're sharing the management duties with someone else. Well, it is, it's totally not writing. It's everything but writing, which is why when you are you know, a new creator, they want you with somebody who's done it for many years and understands that it's not at all about cranking out scripts, but it's about a million questions that have nothing to do with um with scripts or the show necessarily you know as you see it um like a writer and i think for me chris and amy were the perfect like we just saw the world totally the same way we saw a story the same way it was like a weird they were just like parents i hadn't and you were met. set up with them by the yeah it was by the uh, studio? well i mean they were they were looking you know when you have a concept and you sell an idea and you haven't done it before, then they start sort of shopping you around mm-hmm. to various showrunner people um, who might be interested. And they hadn't done anything in many years and um, they read it and liked it and we liked each other. And, um, and it was sort of like the perfect, the perfect marriage. Uh, so what did you glean uh, in working with them that you've now brought to your new show? Well, it really, I mean, you can't, there's so many other things you can get, distracted by like mm. things that are they are real problems like somebody does have to decide like what the actors are wearing or what the set will look like or like you have to see and approve everything and somebody does need to go <clears throat> cut like there there's a million things that have to be done but if you let that stuff distract you from that you cannot make a good show from a shitty script like you can totally take a great script and make a shitty show <laughs> but like if you do not have 53 pages of awesome then you will not have an awesome show so i think you it's so easy like once the the laundry machine gets turned on and like a wednesday starts with breaking this episode posting that episode looking at cues for this episode hearing somebody's complaints about that episode and notes on that one like you just sort of you just your brain falls apart and the last thing you can think about is like is this script as good as it can possibly be? You just look at, like, how do I get to the neck? How do I put one foot in front of the other? And you just you can't do that. You have to figure out how to lay whatever you need to lay off or however you need to do it. If you can't write great scripts, you, just, you can't have a good television show. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how much... Uh, you have a pretty small staff, uh, I learned earlier. How much uh, responsibility do you give or expect of your writers? Well, like, when you were talking about, you know, with staff writers and stuff, like, it is... It's the opposite of three jokes and your iced out. Like, when someone steps up, like, you could not be more... I I have literally teared up when people give me, like, great pages or someone makes a great... Like, because it just solves such a huge problem that I I will let you run, like, as far as you can go. Like, I'm happy to let people... They just they take on as much responsibility as they earn, and people. Yeah, I can't even understand. I can't even get into the head of somebody that would be. It seems so like people would think that that was arrogant, but the arrogance is actually the functional part. I'm arrogant, which is why I go, yeah, please be a genius. I like, like 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 I like eight geniuses underneath me, please. I would like them all to like like be making a, a show. I would like to sit in a hammock and drink out of a coconut and just be a genius myself, at, like like by virtue of finder's fee. You know, I would love that. Yes. There's nothing. The, the system is set up to favor that person anyway. It's unfair, but. I, I, I can't imagine somebody like like sniping somebody like oh my god they're gonna take me over. Yeah, Charles. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, and you may have heard the story, but the 
the, the party of five people, the one story that stuck in my head was that they had written for David Kelly. Mm-hmm. And, and David was very complimentary of their script. And they were like, we're going to get on staff. This is going to be great. And he wouldn't put them on staff. He, and he said to them, I'm not going to put you on staff because you two will go on and make good stuff. You, you, you guys have your own, you know, imprint that, that I don't want to dance. This was David Kelly. And, uh, and that, no, no, that's totally the story. He, he told them he loved them, but uh, this was not the show for them, that they had a show in them. Yeah. And well, so, I'm sorry, what, what, it was because they were, they, were, they were staffing? They were trying to get on that David Kelly show? They were right. trying to get on Kelly's show. <laughs> And they had written a, a freelance, uh, and he was so impressed. And by I'm sorry, Party Five was the free was the spec, or no, 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 no. Oh, okay. It was came later, which I think it was like Ally McBeal or something. That they I almost called it PO Five. That that shows my color. PO Five? They wrote they wrote PO Five? Yeah, they, well, and you know, and so it's like you get you get certain showrunners who just recognize, show. yeah. You know, when when you have someone, like what Kyle is saying and what Dan is saying, the hardest thing, when I was on Third Watch, Ed Bernero was my showrunner, and he was like these guys. He was like, listen, I'm bringing you guys to the party so I can get the fuck home early. <laughs> you know? But he could not believe that there were other showrunners who were like, kind of like, you know, on the seventh level of hell and wanted everybody else to be as miserable as they were. You know? But it happens. I mean, it's interesting too from from the, from the PO five perspective, uh, where like it, they probably it, they probably would have loved to have been staffed because yes, we want to run our own show, but let's go have this experience for a minute before we do go run our own show. I mean, that's that has to be valuable too. Um, well, it's totally valuable. You can't get past it. You know, it's just it's a mindset. I don't. How many shows have you run before? I, z- zero. That's that, and, and that's been. It was exceptionally difficult for me for that reason. I did not. Co- Chris is my right hand man on the show. He's come up through the trenches. You know, he's worked for assholes so many times that uh, he could work for me. No, 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 I didn't no, no. Will you please no, 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 name no, no, them no, no, all no. right now? No, I, I will say no. I, but I didn't though. I. Yeah. My point was, I didn't have the stories where I was a tar. I I came in a very fostering, awesome background. Oh, I didn't mean American to imply Dad. that you're retroactively that you were talking about. I, I I just mean like you're you're you you went through channels. Right. Like you you started as a baby and grew into a man. And I came I, like I, 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 I was born full grown man. So I, I, like I, I was on a freeway ramp and and, and, a, and a and a job fell out of the plane uh, uh, and landed on my head. Like I was working in basic cable. And I couldn't even function there. I got fired by Sarah Silverman. Uh, uh, couldn't couldn't even be head writer for her. I was so uh, uh, my head's so far up my own ass. And then I was the head running a network show. I, I came in at a weird point in the show. I mean, I, I came in the community after I think twelve or thirteen episodes. I left after five years of American Dad. Uh, I came in and the dust was just clearing because I don't want. I mean, Dan, Dan was a was an it was his first time as a showrunner. He was writing the show, and he and, had. And Dan a, talked about this last time. Yeah, you were okay, here, so okay. You can, so yeah, yeah. No, it was it was a whole different. It, it was it was a whole different ballgame. I was coming into a show that 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 people were leaving, um, and I'd only had one TV job before that. It was American Dad for five years, and it was you know, and but like coming into this thing, it was it was it was clearly there would there was there was dust 
literally still <laughs> settle, settling. There was like I was I was in this dusty office where another co-EP had just left, and it was this. <laughs> All that was left was an empty Sunvolt CD case. I didn't even uh, know in a dusty room, and <laughs> it was we were being. It was like I was thrown into a room with our new with another new writer, and uh, it was like, okay, it's Christmas. Jack, it's this Jack Black episode. Don't worry about reading it. It's not done yet. Dan's at home. I didn't even see Dan. Dan was like the okay. Grand Wizard. I'm sorry, Grand Wizard. Uh, <laughs> Wizard of Oz. He was like he was like this. He was like this like this unseen character. What the hell kind of panel do you have? <laughs> We got him, you guys. We got him. Run! <laughs> anyway. Uh, no, it was like, okay, here's a scene. Uh... Che, it's yeah. It was it was uh, it was a do a downbeat with Chang. It was, it was crazy. We were thrown right into it. And, but here's uh, a really specific, just to give you some indication of what we talk about. When we talk about the lack of experience, like in network, like coming up through the trenches. What is what's the difference? The difference is uh, what the the uh, moment that I started my job running NBC's community. Um, I uh, 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 every every moment up until then. I if if anybody if I was typing on an airplane in my laptop and I thought that someone could see my screen I would I, w- I wouldn't do it and if anyone would walk I, I would I would anyone that would come near me collaborator or not if they were working on a show I was working on acceptable TV Sarah's show anything uh, I, I I could you please uh, I don't want you to look at what I'm doing because for me it was like and that's an infantile thing because because uh, network television is. 25 episodes a year, fuck you. Uh, 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 your, you. Your first draft is not going to be Citizen Kane. You're going to lay a little farty turd, and everyone's going to get to see it, and we're all going to fix it. You know, and, and, and we're all in the same boat, and that's the Henry Ford principle at work. It's like we, we've all been divested of our individuality as artists, but we can form bonds as creatives. You know, we can have a religion together. We're, we're, we're writers. We were able to adapt by, by becoming like a clan, you know, uh, and, 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 but <laughs> with a C, with a C. Watch community in a different way. From <laughs> <laughs> We're able to shield ourselves from the, the other, uh, the, <laughs> uh, the, uh, it was it was it was a three year process. It wasn't until it was it was the, the the turning point, the threshold, as Campbell would say, was McKenna coming in for the back nine first season because he was the first of a new generation of community writers who were coming in having seen the show on television. And Chris came in and, and was exuberant and joyful and 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 and, and, and like l- liked the show and I, and I was, well all my predecessor had failed to take over the show from Dan <laughs> so I'm like okay that's not gonna work <laughs> yeah. uh and 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 so and from there forth it was like okay if we get a couple of these people per year slowly I had to learn now I don't I'm a completely different now it's like writing doesn't even mean anything to me anymore I've become like you're talking about that's the bummer is that you become this cloud of delegation and that's that's the sad thing is that you're no longer allowed to be Woody Allen or uh, Howard Hughes. You can't you can't just you know sit at home in your pajamas and make everything perfect. You, you're you're you know, a disservice to the to the show if you do that. You're being selfish and infantile if you if you don't say, Chris, could you take a room and go try to beat that? And to you do like you 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 have to do what doesn't make you feel like you're sucking your thumb. You know, it, do, it doesn't make you feel comfortable. I, I, I always, still struggling with this, I always just want to go, 
it's, it's good enough. It's good enough. Just give it to me and I'll, I'll fix it tonight. But you can, I, I never will because I'm a lazy, fat asshole. And then, and then the show will be fucked. And the show got good when, <laughs> as I started to learn how to take advantage of these people who, 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 unlike me, learned a little bit to work for other people and learned a, a selfless craft of, uh, of, of, of like, let's make the show good. <laughs> and and that, that this episode that we started the uh, panel monopolizing, you know, talking about it, uh, that, that episode is, is the, what, third or fourth that, that Chris has done. That's, it, it, the reason why it's good is because Chris is insanely proud of his episode and yet is absolutely impervious to this manic depressive asshole above <laughs> him going up until the, a week before it broadcast going, this is a piece of shit. This sucks. Is it me or is it, are we, we should all blow our brains out, right? I, I want to I get to, I get to uh, kind of a follow-up on this, but I want to step back for one minute. And uh, Chris, talk to us about uh, your experience on American Dad or even what came before that. Because what is your background as a writer? American Dad is the majority of your yeah, credits. Did, you know, you've worked was, on a lot of I, I came down. I had total disdain for television. I was like, ah, oh, no, I'm going to be a feature writer. And then, uh, yeah, just failed miserably at that um i did some i did you know rewrites on features i, I, I the girl next door i did a uh you know it was that was like that, that, was, that for me that was the last it was like okay this thing i, I rewrote the entire thing got no credit on it and not not that even not that even i, I love the final movie but it was like a lot of like selling pitches that's the frustrating thing about features is particularly it's just like like dan said it's like like TV, like, fuck you, you have 22 to 25 episodes to make. There is a train, it is running, it, it is going, and you are on it or you're off, but you are, all you're doing is you are making stories. Whereas features, like, you could just live in limbo forever. It was very frustrating, and all my friends were doing TV and, and enjoying it. And so um, when my youngest brother, Matthew McKenna, who you may have seen here recently at uh, Enter Spider, um, he and I, he was just graduating college. I said, look, I'm going to flip over to TV. Let's write specs together and, uh, let's do, let's do the TV thing. And then, so we wrote our specs and we were really lucky. We, uh, we got a, you know, like our first staffing we got on American dad and it was this new show and, and it was going to be the new Seth MacFarlane replacement for family guy, but then Family Guy got brought back, so then Seth was back down the hallway. We were on the same hallway with Family Guy. They re regrouped. We had two Family Guy writers who had created it with Seth, Mike Barker and Matt Weitzman. And Matt and I were just – we were just ba – we were TV babes. We went in and we had this great staff that, like, you know, it was Carter and Craig who created How I Met Your Mother. We have uh, David Zuckerman who, you know, is now the showrunner of Wilfred. We have Nanashka Khan, uh, Dave Hemmingson, the Miller brothers, just awesome writers. And – so Matt and I were on that for five years, and it was, you know, over five years, we, we broke three-act stories, you know. Uh, we broke over 100 three-act stories, and it was very story-driven. It was – we were not Family Guy. It was no cutaways. It was tell a story because you guys can't do cutaways. You cannot be Family Guy. Mm -hmm. And so we were – it was act breaks. It was really strong uh, act breaks. So that's that, that was my experience before I came over to the community. It would had broke, you know, just having broken like 110, uh, you know, three act stories. So, and luckily, like 
like community, there was there was definitely you. We could do weird, interesting, great, nonlinear or or fantastical kind of uh, elements. So that was that was my experience. Um, I, all right, we're going to turn it over to you guys in just a minute. I can't believe I've gotten to like two questions, but I just want to follow up on this uh, off of Dan, what you were saying, and Charles, you as well. Um, you're co-running this show now, Kyle. Um, and you've had to delegate responsibility, and you know the the, the cloud is an interesting way to put it. Um, are you finding joy in this process these days? Uh, <laughs> it it literally like depends on the day, and I will go from like elation that something worked to we should all kill ourselves. It doesn't matter what we're doing. Like overnight, I mean, just it's the next piece of good news like just sends you like on a rocket and the next piece of bad news you're underground mm-hmm. um, but uh, I, I, thought, I, I thought it was clinically like insane I think it may just come with the job yeah okay um, god damn it that's well that's nice. what I'm wondering I mean you know what, what are those moments where you're having this elation and I'm glad I made this thing. It takes very, very little. Like, this <laughs> moment is making me feel elation. I, 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 I'm finding out that a guy that looks normal uh, uh, wants to kill himself three times a week. Yeah, it's just something, something, it's something that works because so many things that you think will work don't. Like so many things that didn't seem like they were going to be a problem become one that it's it just like constantly having your legs chopped out from under you. So when something unexpected bubbles up and it's like... Ah, I don't have to do anything with that. That's taking, it's just, uh, it, it really, there's nothing, I can't describe it. It's like, it's just, uh, it's ridiculous. Just, I would love, and we can continue this. I'm fascinated by what I hear is such a difference between the comedy writer's room and a drama writer room. We do so much of the same exact thing, but like talking to you and Ben and then your partner recently, like how, like, you know, on dramas, like there's no there's no writers' room. People are off in their offices, and it depends. I, it depends. Yeah, I, I, I'm fascinated by that because how do you guys like what is going? But I've heard it on so many. But you say it depends, but I've also heard in so many of my drama writer friends, it's just such a weird, different yeah. dynamic. They, they do seem to get home be, earlier. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, but I, yeah, I, I mean, you've had this experience about it. If, if you are on a show that's probably that's run by uh, a writer that's come off a of Law and Order, you're probably not going to have a writer's room. Huh. I didn't even know because that. Dick Wolf never had writers' rooms, you know, and it was so for him it was like he was the spider and the writers were the tentacles, and they didn't need to get the feedback of all of the other writers; they just needed to get the feedback from Dick Wolf. Mm-hmm. You know, there are other showrunners who are much more collaborative. You know, but I mean, it it varies because. It depends on that person's background. I just want to say one thing. I was not yeah. saying that no one should have a... You, you should skip being oh, on of staff. Course, of course. Um, you know, but you did, have, you did indirectly stay, say that spiders have tentacles. <laughs> I just did, didn't I? I wasn't going to say anything. And you, uh, I was going to take it right out of the no, podcast. You, know what? <laughs> you also called yourself fat and ugly, but I didn't... <laughs> And we were both wrong. Wait, I want to... Yes. Spiders have legs, and I look like Man. Tom Cruise. Yes. Ladies and gentlemen, Tom Cruise. Yes. Welcome and to Harmony. And I was also wrong. And you Dan, is a, Dan is a ground with Grand Wizard. <laughs> no, but, uh, you, yeah, we... we you know, but yeah. what, what, getting to the, the, the difference is, you know, I believe that in the showrunners, in the drama showrunners world, sometimes... There's a, there's 
a level of self-importance that they kind of like <laughs> add to the atmosphere. And it's like, you know. I have not experienced that. It's like, come on, guys. It's, it's a <laughs> No, it's like it's a fucking show. At the end of the day, it's a fucking show. You know, no matter how much you love it, you, you know, the reason that they're 25 is so it's like every day is like, get the fuck over yourself because there's another day coming. You know, but some showrunners are not taught to be great managers or to understand that spiders don't have tentacles. <laughs> and they get caught up in a, you know, in a certain mind, uh, you know, just fucking mind fuck. Have you worked on both kinds of shows where there's an intense room and then it's independent yes. study the whole time? Yeah. Have yeah. you preferred one to the other or have you found one or, one or the other more valuable? It depends. It depends on the showrunner. Mm -hmm. If you don't like being around the motherfucker, you'd rather be in the room. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, Daybreak, I worked for Jeff Bell, who came from Angel. I worked for him on Daybreak and for V. We worked for him in a, in, again in a heartbeat. You know, and he had a room room. You know, uh, when I was on uh, this wonderful show called Killer Instinct, we had a Law and Order showrunner, and it, you know, it was like you just deal with me. You don't talk to the other writers. The other writers are off working on their their episodes. They are called episodes, right? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you know? Even in dramas. Even in dramas. <laughs> and you know, and and I'm the person you deal with. That mm -hmm. was that was their thought. And you know, and sometimes it works, but sometimes. If you're working on your episode, you do only want, you know, once you figure out the configuration of the room, you do only want to hear from the people who actually are going to have something to say about the longevity of, your, you know, how your script sure. works out the long run. And the person that nobody listens to, you don't want to fucking sit there for 15 minutes <laughs> and go, uh, what was that again? You know, and you yeah. just want to skip that process. Has it informed how you'll run a show? Yes, absolutely. Bean bags and fucking video games. <laughs> I'm what time? To be the spider. <laughs> what time will I get out? Huh? What time will I get home? Ah, uh, shit. I don't. I like my kids. And All I right. Like my okay. Wife, <laughs> so I want to get out. Uh, how does your room work, Kyle? When we hired a staff. Uh, I told each writer that I was pursuing that. When it was their episode, I'd work any way they wanted to work. So if they worked with a big room, if they were from a place where they, they liked input from a lot of people, we would do that for their episode. If they liked to work independently, I would let them do that. If they wanted to work with one person, two people, I, you know, because I wasn't really a writer for many, many years, like it was just, it was just more of a typer. Like I, I wrote things, but no one read them and I didn't expect to have any success at it. So, you know, I became, it was just, it was just me. And that's a very hard, I think I may still be in the infantile phase of your, of your evolution. Like I, I still do a lot totally by myself. I am still in the place where, uh, I don't want to, I know this could be awesome. Like if you'll let me finish writing it, like, let me print it out and prove it to you. But it's hard early because to say the wardrobe needs to know do you want the yes. red dress or the blue dress on, the, right. on an episode that's shooting tomorrow that's and right. and you're talking about an episode that's shooting that you have six balls in the air at all times and it's like i i yeah it, it, it it's it's a tragic irony that the the people that are going to be really good that have the good taste i don't think your brain is necessarily given to that kind of multitasking because right. i just want to like make love to each episode but also like i think you touched on this earlier it's like as a writer like it's i don't know it's just not in my dna to be a manager it's not it's just like and then you like and tell me if you're wrong like having to step into that role and like do that because 
by nature, we're all like lazy, like head in the cloud kind of people who, you know, uh, are, you know, are interested in this. Like if you're, if you're, hopefully if you're passionate, it's about the passion of the story. It's a passion of the joke. But you it's do it naturally. Like- That's the irony of this is that this is the guy who came like, like, like the first season, like one of the b- big crossings of the threshold was him coming in, sitting down with the EPs and saying, because he's trusted among the writers because it's like, it's like a sergeant, you know, like the, the infantry. They want to be able to talk shit about the general uh, because he's not there uh, and he's making decisions that could get them killed uh, in, in this metaphor, waste their time for six hours. And, and, and the person that's there more but is the highest ranking by default becomes like this father figure. Chris is from a big Irish family with a lot of sisters and brothers. So unlike me, it's like he, he came in and sat me down in my office and said, look, people are confused. They don't know when their day begins. They don't know when it ends. They don't know who's asked to kiss. They don't know what, like, like if their job is to kiss ass or to piss you off. They, they, they don't know. And, and, and from that, I'd be, that, that was my first like crossing into like, okay, I'm in a job that I'm not good at, but I got to get good at it at least a little bit. So you do things, you force yourself, you go, okay, 10 AM every morning, we're going to have a Hill street blues, like, you know, precinct <laughs> meeting so that everyone feels like they're coming to work other, because believe it or not, that, that, that wasn't happening before Chris said that, that that wasn't happening. So the answer to your question is it was every day people would be wandering the whole <laughs> I mean, it was just like, you're like, it would be like, I don't know, like, uh, what was that Marion Bridge movie? Like that French film or like people are just ghosts wandering like these like you know these 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 lawns like it was and it was like okay can we have a morning meeting it was it was like simple things like that but they're as simple as let's have a family dinner which are like significant because we are a family we're we're seeing each other more than we see our families let's yeah no so the no it was all good it was just like it was just yeah we need yeah those kind of structural connections because and that's why when i hear stuff like on dramas like where it's like everyone's off in their own offices and there's no like i go god because maybe just i'm affected by coming from a giant 12 kid (laughs) irish family i'm like i can't imagine not like the people that i'm seeing on a day-to-day basis not at least having breakfast or like what is like connecting with them on the ritual of sitting around a table which is a great ritual for a good reason all right. Uh, we, I'm sorry. We, we have only have time for a couple of questions here today. Um, so we'll turn it over to you guys. Please remember to keep your questions short. Questions begin with an H or a W, not with an I. Uh, who has a question? Yeah. Uh, in NYPD Blue, episode 17, uh, Lipowitz said that he was going to the shower. In the following scene, he was wearing a... Sorry. Uh, this is one guy who, who came here because. <laughs> Sorry, just a, a question for Kyle. Just uh, with the way, after you'd finished writing the pilot, did you have a plan for the whole of the first season worked out? Were you able to, when you started the writers' room, were you able to go in and say, this is where I want to be at the end of season one? Or? Um, I, had a, I had an idea for the end of season one, like literally just like this will happen in the end, but kind of no idea what would happen in the middle. Or anything between the pilot or that last scene. <laughs> How often, though, during the pilot process, you're like, ah, believe me, execs. <laughs> I got it. Well, it, did, it felt like a, I don't know. There's it's a things, show. It'll run itself. It'll, I mean, I literally had those thoughts. Like, we'll hire some people who know how to do cop stuff. And like, 
but like with Lone Star, it was the exact opposite. Like I had it charted out like a novel. Like it needed this had to happen in this episode, and this whole thing was like being laid in. And but that was a waste of time. So I decided not to do it again. <laughs> so you're just using all your old Lone Star plots. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, the, and the jury is still out whether or not what, what, which is what yeah. you're supposed to do. Are you supposed to stay in the moment because some of the greatest things c- come as a result of total unprepared right. bullshit? And then, or are you supposed to prepare? Right. Some of the worst moments come from overprepared. Right. That Vince but Gilligan was talking too. about the yeah. his his Breaking Bad seasons and Breaking Bad season two was the only one that they like they. Just like it was a metronome, they knew exactly what had to happen in every episode. And he said it, it was like your daybreak experience. Like you, when you actually got into it, you had so little room to yeah. maneuver that it, it just felt suffocating. So that's, they decided they would never. Our, ex- our it. experiment for season three was that that was my gimmick. Is like okay, we're going to plan the whole season out. Like we never did that before. And the, the the biggest drawback is that it's the claustrophobia. It's like. Well, we said that Chang has to have an ant by now, uh, <laughs> but we haven't seen John Goodman for six episodes. Oh, Jesus Christ. Like, so, all right, I'm, I'm tabulating it all. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an episode that has to involve Troy finding socks. Uh, John Goodman will sit on Chang. Like, it's, it's all of a sudden... God, or rather the devil, is writing your episode now. It's just like a, yeah, you're, you're wrapped up in your own duct tape. Which all seemed like, yeah, like in the beginning, in pre-production, we're like, oh, God, we got this whole thing mapped out. Boy, we're just going to, like, check the, like, these bills. Connect the dots. Yeah, but then you end up with all these bills to pay. And like, well, nah, we can't do that in the Christmas episode. That'll yeah. just, like, throw everything off. Yeah, anyway, yeah now you yeah. can't just r- drive in. Like, hey, I saw a funny Vince Vaughn billboard. <laughs> Let's do an episode about boogers. <laughs> Which is, like, all our greatest episodes. It's just some dude rolling in high and... <laughs> all right. Uh, on the two pilots you just uh, pitched, and uh, Charles, how much planning did you do? As far as season arcs or... The one that didn't sell? I had five seasons before. <laughs> <laughs> uh, seems to be the way. And the one I sold, I like... I was like, <laughs> oh, I know work. what the teaser is. <laughs> I'm driving, the, driving to the pitch. It's like, oh, shit, yeah. You, know, you, 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 you can never figure it out. But less work seems to be better. That's what I'm taking from this. Well, that's what all writers will tell you. Uh, yes, um, Do not touch my microphone. <laughs> That's what they all say. Um, <laughs> well, it's not flattering to you. <laughs> my... She goes to a lot of panels. <laughs> <laughs> Did you just call them clannels? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, my question is also Clannels. for Kyle. When you were being paired with showrunners, how much power did you feel you had in that equation versus the, who the studio really wanted you to be working with? It was really in both cases it was the only person that, I mean you know I, I read their stuff and in both cases they were the only people um, that I met with and it totally worked. With Chris and Amy I think there was a like they were coming to television because they cared they like also wanted to tell this story so I don't think we were sure until we started doing it how we would share. I think with Howard and I we both had this vision of uh the other person doing it like that this is an easy show like this will just be a cop show and like it'll run for a thousand years and someone else will take care of it so i think we were both sort of like you first no you first and um but once you start doing it uh particularly when you realize your name comes up at the end of every episode it becomes very hard to like 
give that to anybody because I think what you were saying about all writers being anything, I think at core we're all sort of terrified that people will say our stuff sucks. Yes. And so like the, all the, the all the management stuff comes from that that very real fear that like someone will watch an episode of television it was a total piece of shit and the first thing they see at the end of it will be your name yes and then you get whether you get good at it you like get serious about managing it doing whatever you have to do to stop that moment from happening it's the fraud put your name in front. i mean that's the that's that? that put your name in front <laughs> The fraud complex is the is the thing that that it, 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 you every creative lives in constant fear. If they're worth their salt, I would maintain because I wouldn't want to meet the guy that didn't live in constant fear of this of everybody figuring out that you're an unremarkable piece of shit that just got lucky and is abusing their luck, you know, wasting everyone's time. And that's why I would rather. That's the thing that keeps me every morning. I I go, let's do this thing, and you go. Oh God! You could really fall on your face doing that in a, like a hard way, like you could damage your face and be permanently scarred. But um, that's better, way better than like taking the skateboard and kind of going, <laughs> you know, hopping, and uh, because then you're just charging headlong into the thing you fear, which is mediocrity. Like you fear people pointing at you and going, "I figured you out. You're you. You should be running a tropical fish store." Uh, and I figured you out, and, and, and you are lucky, and you and, and, and you're not even using your luck to like make people happy. Uh, yeah, it's a, so you you. I, that's why I double down every bet, double down because it's like take my money away. I don't deserve it. I, it's like 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 make, let this next episode be the one that gets me kicked out of Hollywood because otherwise, uh, yeah. Oh boy, drunk. Dan, <laughs> Dan uh, early on in Community, did either NBC or Krasnoff Foster try to team you with a, a more experienced showrunner? Well, they did. I mean, that's but, but the part of what happened. And my show was sort of unique. It was they sort of dug a pit and they threw everybody in uh, and just like waited to see what would happen. So they they gave me a list of number twos, the EPs who could help me, you know, and, and I was like, yeah, I need Spocks to my Kirk. They weren't called showrunners, but they also it was like they gave me this list, and I chose the guys that made the top of the list of like, oh, these guys ran Scrubs for eight years, and and Sony likes them, and NBC likes them. I read their script; it's fine. Okay, I'm going to do the smart thing. I'm going to have these guys as my number two. It's my decision. Uh, and I never suffered the illusion that I was being like, they weren't being forced upon me or anything. But talking to those guys later, as conflict started to develop, uh, it became apparent that they took the job because people were telling them, this guy doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. It's basically your show. Meanwhile, the Russo brothers, uh, who did Arrested Development, or directed all those episodes, now they're EPs on the show. They were also told, guy running, created the show, doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Two guys he hired may or may not know what the fuck they're doing. It's your show. So everybody, like, figured out over a period of about eight episodes that everyone had been told it was their show. And then, uh, and, and I can't remember what your question was. <laughs> 
You answered it. But I'm I'm sure I, that but I chose those guys. I chose those guys. Yeah, you know, what, I, what do you no, think no one was forced on. And I chose them specifically. I told those guys, because uh, I met with guys who were more passionate than them. But I, as I told them when I hired them, I said, I like you guys because you have experience. And that's what I need in the people directly underneath me. I like the idea that if I go to the bathroom and have a heart attack, the worst case scenario is scrubs. <laughs> and they laughed at that and I thought well they also Super have flattering. no ego apparently so they can work for me or, uh, or, it, or, or they thought work questions over from me the crowd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hi some of you already touched on this a bit but I was wondering if you have any especially educational rejections or failures that have really informed you and moved you forward and sort of changed your direction anyone <clears throat> No, nope. they suck. <laughs> can, you th- can you think of specific uh, instances where maybe you learned something from it? I tried to staff before I, before I sold a movie, before I ended up with my own shows, and I wrote A Law and Order, which I thought was like very competent, and um, it seemed to me exactly like an episode of Law and Order, and I sent it in, and everyone who read it said That's, that is exactly what it is. And I said, so, like, when do I get a job? And they were like, well, we... We already have those people. Like, we don't need more people who can just make a Law & Order episode. Like, unless you can do something they can't, we don't have a place for you. They're all taken. Like, you, you end up having to prove that you bring something here that nobody else had. Like, you, you just, that's, the, the staffing, I think, even when you read great samples, great episodes that someone has specced of an existing show, some of the best episodes of like uh, of, of Curb that I've read don't exist. Like they're just samples where somebody brought something to that show that like is of it, but it's that person. And I think for me that was sort of the the light bulb moment. Like I didn't have to pretend that I could follow the path and write volcano movies because they're hot at the moment. Like it was just do whatever the fuck you want. Like do something that means something to you because you're gonna waste your time doing it anyways. It should really it should come from you. Uh, one more. Um, Chris, you mentioned uh, a goddess moment earlier, which is one of these eight steps that Dan has written a lot about. <laughs> I was wondering if you were exposed to that structure um, of telling a story before you worked with Dan. Yeah, we definitely hit it hard on community. Um, and, um, but no, yeah, absolutely. Campbell, I read in high school and I read the Chris Vogel writer's journey, you know, piss on it or not. Uh, it was influential, um, particularly because it was one of these things where God, you'd go to a meeting and every exec in town had read this thing, which would make you think, oh, okay, it's the, it's this, it's this thing. But at the root of it is Campbell and it's, it's, it's mythological story structure and it's, uh, you know, our, the macro myth and everything. And no, absolutely. Absolutely. And then, then we, we, so, I mean, you know, coming from American dad, where we were just doing, we were doing three act structures and then, but then really hitting it, um, hard, uh, on community when I came in. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's nice to have like those tools at your disposal. Um, you've seen maybe Dan's Tumblr for remedial chaos. Uh, the goddess point is an interesting point because we actually added that to what I call a complete embryo because there's no – I originally said whatever happens before each commercial, that's what I want to know. Beginning, first act break, second act break. But I ended up 
over time we realized no there's a the middle of the second act needs a needs a a difference between it and everything that comes before it and everything that comes after it it's it's a tentpole moment in the middle of the second act uh that we that we just call the goddess because that's what Campbell called it. Sid Field calls it the midpoint for, for screen, uh, feature mm-hmm. purposes. And other people were like, you know, before, like, you were like, oh, it's, it's, like a, it's almost like a, another act break, but it's not, but, but it, it's a significant turn. It's a pivot sure. point. Sure. I was, I was going to go back to her question because yeah. I haven't Please. read about the goddess moment. Um, <clears throat> the, the thing that every re- rejection should teach you is um, resolve. You know, that should that should be the one thing that you take away from it, because if your script goes out to 20 or 30 showrunners, that still doesn't encompass all of the showrunners. So you could get turned down by 30 and get picked up by 31 who will recognize your personality because somewhere it's akin to what they're doing or who they are. You know, I was in a situation, my first pilot where I was staffed on the show and was writing an episode at the same time that I was prepping my pilot and literally um, hadn't figured out the show. Mm -hmm. And one of the uh, supervising producers was telling me how it was evident that I couldn't get the show and that if, you know, I would probably have one more chance at writing this show before I was like given the boot. And in the afternoon, I had, like that same day, I had the uh, head of CAA talent call me and tell me that my pilot was one of the best pilots he'd read. You know, so the only thing that you, you, I think you should take away from it is that you don't let the rejections knock you down. Well, you don't set you set your watch by your own sunset yeah. and, and, and sunrise. Yeah. Don't like the the game. Everybody in this room has been through a minimum of ten relationships, maybe except for this guy. Come on, <laughs> where was that? I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, it's the exact same thing. When somebody tells you your script as soon as you, a network executive gets on the phone, your first time it's going to hurt the hardest because you're waiting to hear that you're a genius or you're an idiot they hold that power and they shouldn't any more than the girl that you lost your virginity to should have held the power of making you feel like you were a good lover or a bad lover you were both a couple of young idiots that bumped up against each other that that you're you will grow and you will become callous and desensitized uh, which is a jaded way of saying you will grow, you will become stronger. Uh, re- rejection is a thing that you will eat and, and you will get used to. Because it's going to come. And, it's and, going to come. Yeah. And, 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 and so even though and so every, the reason I bring up relationships is because you've, you guys have all been told this. You've all been heartbroken, every single one of you. You've all been at dinner with your friends, tears welling in your eyes. Oh my God, Jessica won't call me. I can't believe this. I want to go home and I want to put a gun in my mouth. And your friends who are in a happy relationship are sitting there eating their tacos, going like, "Just give us some time." And you and you just you want to shoot them before yourself because they don't understand it, they don't get it, but they turn out to be right because the boring truth is. Just get dumped a bunch of times, and you gain objectivity, and you'll you'll end up meeting the person that's right for you, and you'll and she'll be calm, and you'll be calm because you've been dumped a bunch of times, and you've dumped a bunch of people. Uh, great, great stuff all around on this panel. Uh, please give a round of applause for Kyle Killen, Chris McKenna, Dan Harmon, and Charles Murray.
Thanks to 826LA and everyone here in Nerdist Industries and Meltdown Comics. Goodbye. Now leaving Nerdist.com.